Welcome to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, Pat, what are we listening to? We are listening to Verdi's Ernani. Never heard of it. <laughs> it is a wonderful opera, but it it's not in the repertoire quite as frequently as many of his others because because Verdi, right? It's not Las Raviate, it's not Aida, it's not even Otello. <laughs> But it's one of his earlier operas. It's his fifth opera that he wrote. Oh, okay. And so at what point in his career did he write those blockbuster operas, the Aida and the... Were those later? The, well, those Aida was the last... Uh, well, That's not the true. last, but was the last one of the pretty much continuous composing period. He, he thought he was done after Aida. We discussed this when we did... Uh, certainly when we did Otello, because... He kind of had to be coaxed out of retirement to do Otello, and then Falstaff followed both Shakespeare-inspired shows. But that's at the other end of his career. So that was, Aida was 1871, Otello 1887, 1897 for Falstaff. But go way back to 1844, and that's when Ernani premiered. Wow, so he had a very long career. Oh, yeah. Very sort of the opposite of Mozart. <laughs> yeah, except one of the things that he does have in common is that he was producing very impressive stuff at a young age. He was just 30 at the time of the premiere of Ernani. That's pretty young. It is young, but he was a prodigy. He'd already done, he'd had huge, he'd done, this is his fifth opera, but he had had very big successes with Nabucco and I Lombardi. So... Nabucco, we're going to have to tackle that one at some point. That has very, that has huge historical significance. For some of the reasons that creep into Ernani, it captured at moments the nationalistic sentiment going on in Italy, mm. where we will talk a little bit about it. I hope this doesn't scare anyone off, but we will talk a little bit about Italian history at this point in time, because... We know it's not until the 1870s that Italy becomes a unified nation. We know that it's not until the 1870s that Italy becomes a unified nation. Yeah. And this is 1844. Okay. So this is during this period of time when there are nationalist sentiments. And we can, we'll talk a little bit more about some of those details later. But right now, I want to focus on the romantic aspect of Ernani. Because in this opera, we have, I'm not even sure what the phrase is. Do we call it a love quadrangle when there are four people involved? A quartet? Yes, but it's not like They're two not men. They're not singing. And, it's not two men and two women. It's one woman and three men are in love with her and they all well, want her. She's very compelling. She's, she's lovely. She's young. She's not yet 20 years old. I've heard some folks say she's 16. It's not super clear to me in the libretto, but she's young. She's very young, and she's living in the house of her uncle. And let me ask you a question, Keely. Imagine yourself, not yet 20 years old, a young woman in a society when it's, it's actually time for you to get married at this point, and you have suitors. And one of the suitors is very wealthy, also young, very powerful politically, and he adores you. That's man one. Uh -huh. Man two is also young, also adores you, but not wealthy or powerful. Mm -hmm. And number three is old, wealthy, and kind of powerful, but not as powerful as guy one. 
Which one do you pick? I, I'm going to go with Bachelor number one, Pat. I, I was hoping you would say that because I think for a lot of for a lot of women, that would be the obvious choice. Well, Bachelor number one is King Charles I of Spain. Ah. So Charles is the first man to simultaneously hold the crowns of Aragon and Castile. He's the grandson of Ferdinand and Isabella, Isabella of Castile, Ferdinand of Aragon. So he is the only true and very, very much true historical character in this opera. Hmm. So is that Don Carlo? Yes. Charles translates to Carlo. Mm-hmm. So there, now that could be confusing because some of our listeners may know that there is a Verdi opera called Don Carlo. But that comes much later in Verdi's repertoire, though it does refer to the same Don Carlo. And I almost feel like this, this would be a more aptly named opera if it were Don Carlo, not Ernani. But we'll explain why. Ernani is the name momentarily. So you've you've chosen the king. You've chosen well. He's young. He's 19 at this point. Again, historical character. He was born in 1500. This opera takes place in 1519. Okay. So he's also young. It's set in 1519 in Spain. That's right. Mostly. Mostly in Spain. And but it debuts in 1844. That's right. And it is Verdi's fifth opera. That's right. Oh, okay. you're taking notes, aren't you? I, I am. <laughs> I've, you know, this isn't my first rodeo, Pat. Um, <laughs> but it did take me roughly 61 episodes to start taking notes. Okay, nice. <laughs> Give or take. But I got a pen. Oh, that's good. That's really good. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I think that's going to take some of the suspense away at the midpoint. But we'll we'll get there. <laughs> Bachelor <laughs> number two, by the way, the one who is also young but not powerful, that is our title character. That is Ernani. Ah. He is, well, we're going to meet him momentarily. He's a bandit. He's got a band of merry men, and we've got a little bit of singing with all the boys hanging out in the mountains like bandits will do and then do people say i bandito i did not hear that when i listened to the all right i'm gonna listen i'm gonna listen up for that one oh it it may be hidden in there but i missed it (laughs) okay so we've got ernani is bachelor number two he is charming and young but not wealthy we've got bachelor number one who is young and wealthy and landed and royal and blah blah and then we've got bachelor number three who's old and powerful but not as powerful as the king he's a duke he is very wealthy he's got a fabulous bunch of land and he adores the woman i don't even know if i've mentioned her name yet her name is elvira the woman Ah. in question elvira um and he wants to marry in fact he's made plans to marry elvira and P.S. Elvira is his niece, and she lives at his home. Mm, gross. Yeah, that's kind of how Elvira feels about it. Okay. All right, so we've got bachelor number one, the king, bachelor number two, the bandit, and bachelor number three, the creepy uncle. <laughs> there you go. And Ernani is our tenor. The king, King Charles, Don Carlo, is, can you guess? Uh, well, I don't think he's going to be a baritone. He is a baritone. Is he a baritone? Okay. Mm-hmm. And then we've got our bachelor number three. Creepy uncle is going to be a bass. Exactly. You've He's got a baddie. It. He's the baddie baddie. Okay. 
so let's let's meet Ernani and his band of merry men. The merry men are going to have a little bit of a drinking song to kick us kick the opera off. Ooh, and I then like we're going songs. to hear the pouring out of the heart of the tenor Ernani as he speaks of his love for Elvira.
If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we are listening to Ernani by Giuseppe Verdi. And what a tenor aria that was, Pat. Wasn't that exquisite? Well, it's he's singing about his love for Elvira and how she is going to make his life bearable, worth living, make it sweet. He thanks his friends, all these banditos, banditos. around him. <laughs> yes, exactly, up in, the, up in the mountains. And they're offering sympathy, they're offering assistance, whatever he needs. He thanks them for their help, and then he says, Like dew on a cluster of faded flowers, the voice of an Aragonese maiden, because Evira is from Aragon, that voice descended on my heart. It was my first heartthrob. So this is first love for him, and it's first mm. love for her. So it's that, it's that sweet, passionate love of youth. He says, the first awakening of love, I rejoiced. And old Silva, that's the creepy uncle, bachelor number three. <laughs> <laughs> old Silva dares to offer his hand to her. Tomorrow the villain intends to lead her to the bridal chamber. So he knows what's going on. He may be up in the mountains, but he knows exactly what's going on. And his merry men, of course, say, we'll help you, boss. 
And so they decide they're going to head down the mountains. Going down the mountain. But before they go, Hernani has to sing a little bit more about how much he loves Elvira. listening to opera for everyone and we've just met the title character of today's opera Ernani and his merry banditos his band of banditos <laughs> yes and uh so we know that he's in love with Elvira Elvira's going to marry the creepy uncle they're all going to go down and try and find Elvira and presumably like what kidnap her and take her back up the mountain or something like that well we know that Elvira is not 
super excited about marrying the uncle. So right. I don't know if we use the word kidnap. Kidnapping. But she, they would rescue, rescue her. They rescue her. Okay. So, and we're set in Spain or something like that. Is there anything else that you want to tell us about the opera or? Well, I think, I think I neglected to mention who the librettist was. Okay. And it's definitely worth mentioning that this is a libretto written by Francesco Maria Piave. You've heard that name before. Uh, it, it rings a bell. I don't know why. Well, because he wrote 10 more than any other librettist. He wrote 10 of Verdi's librettos for his operas, including Macbeth, Rigoletto, La Traviata, La Forza del Destino. He wrote a lot of op. He actually wrote a lot of librettos for other composers as well, but he wrote 10 of the librettos for Verdi. So he was prolific. He was, and he was he was very good at his job. So Piave, but this is the very first time the two of them are working together to produce this opera. Oh, and the other thing I didn't mention is his other two big successes, Nabucco and Lombardi, those premiered at La Scala in Milan. And this time he was invited by a large theater in Venice to produce this opera. So this one premieres in Venice in 1844, ah. rather than Milan at La Scala. Interesting. Also worth noting that the story, which Piave made into a libretto, was based on a play by Victor Hugo. Ah, of um, uh, Les Miserables. And Hunchback of Notre Dame, yes. Okay. And it's worth, it's worth just talking for a moment briefly about Victor Hugo. His play, of course, is in French. Hernani, I'm told, we, pronounce, we emphasize the last syllable. He's about 10 years older than, than Verdi is. He's about 10 years older than Verdi, and he is, for those of you who study French literature or literature, European literature, he's one of the sort of the fathers of the romantic movement of literature. Huh. And in that movement of romanticism, Hernani by Victor Hugo is one of the early pieces that is really a, a benchmark of achievement of romanticism. What's romanticism, you ask? I was just going to ask you, but let me take a crack at defining romanticism, and then you can tell me how far off the mark I am. We're not going to get into too many details. I bet you nail it. So romanticism is a response to the Enlightenment? where it's more focused on the human aspect of love and friendship. and Yeah, and it's probably easier if you just use the word emotional aspect. So the emotions, it is the human response or emotions right. that are seen as being completely legitimate and able to drive interest worthy of expression in artistic endeavors. In literature or in, in the creation of plays, there were expectations, and this is sort of considered to be classical expectations of, for example, the higher ranked characters, the nobles were expected to have more noble aspirations or feelings or behaviors. Behaviors, okay. Yeah, they were supposed to behave more nobly, in other words, because right. they were nobles. Now, you're going to say to me, but Pat, we've done Marriage of Figaro, we know Barbara of Seville, that little situation that Beaumarchais, also a Frenchman, we could add, wrote at the, at the end of the 
middle to end of the 18th century. And that's true. But he was an outlier, a precursor, you might say, where you have the nobility of purpose being embodied by not a high class person. We won't worry about that too much. But acknowledging that existence, you also have here to some degree because, well, plot hasn't completely unfolded yet. (laughs) You have nobility of action not necessarily matching up with the nobility of rank of the characters. More importantly, there's all this just outpouring of emotion. And we know that opera does that very well, where they all yes. luxuriate in what they're feeling. And, yeah. and that's fine. But more so for Hugo, for Victor Hugo, more so for him than even for Verdi, this was scandalous. And this, in fact, they called it the the Battle of Hernani in France when this opened. They were just the people who favored the classical style of uh, writing and production of plays were furious that Hugo dared to to present this. Nevertheless, it was a very successful play and one that caught the eye of Verdi and said that would make a fun opera. Interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So the Romantic era began when? I think if you think about it in terms of the early 19th century starting in the early 19th century. I mean, none of these things ever have exact. No, but, and what preceded that, Pat, just so that I know. So the romantic period began in the early 19th century and was it the Enlightenment period? Did I get that right or was I wrong? Yeah, you you can speak about the Enlightenment period or you can speak about the classical period. Okay. I'm learning so much. That's the idea. I know. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So the romantic, the romantic period focuses on emotion and we have the characteristics of nobility having those higher behaviors. But in this one, you're saying that perhaps it's not necessarily that way that we're seeing. Right. And and it's worth mentioning at this point, we've had the French revolution taking place at the end of the 18th century. So we're on the other side of the French revolution now. And a Fr- the French Revolution, among other things, topples nobility. But we're past 1814, so we're in the Restoration period. Because, again, just a real quick little history context, you know, the, the revolutionary ideas of France, they do spread across and excite people all over Europe in terms of toppling the privilege of yeah. the nobility. But... As Napoleon becomes more and more politically successful and is able to expand the existing powers in Europe mass against him, he's defeated militarily. And ultimately, there's a restoration of the various monarchies across Europe, including Mm -hmm. France. And Italy gets kind of divvy because it was ruled by, by the French Empire under Napoleon, it gets divvied up. And the section of Italy that includes Milan and Venice, that's ruled by the Austrians, the Habsburgs. Which I drop that name only because bachelor number one, Charles yeah. the First, he's a Habsburg. Is he really? Yes. Hey Pat. Yes. Where does Napoleon keep his armies? <laughs> Tell me. In his sleeves. I'm sorry, what? In his sleeves, he keeps his armies in his sleeves. <laughs> That's terrible. Um, okay, so getting back to, I just want to clarify. 
So this is an opera that is set in the early 1500s in Spain. Yes. It is based on a French play. Yes. It is written in Italian and it debuts in Austria. It debuts in Venice. Oh, in Venice. Okay. So it debuts in 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 Italy. Right. In But the at this point Italy century. is not a unified country and it is under this section that includes Venice, Milan, this northern area is under the control of the Habsburgs, the Austrians. Okay. Okay, and then we had this big conversation about the French Revolution and the Romantic period and da 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 Yeah, probably too much context, but, you know, I geek out on this stuff just a little bit. I hope, yeah, no, I I hope too, somebody's I, having I, fun I, with me on it. But I, I also wanted to say that we talked about that because even though this was set in an earlier period, yes. the era in which it was written influences significantly the way in which the action is presented. And received. Yes. And received. Okay. okay so, so speaking was, of romance, shall we get shall we get yes. to another person declaring her love? And that's our that's our leading lady Elvira. For the bandito? So she so this is scene two of Act One. We are in Elvira's chambers in her uncle Silva's house. And we have a moment to hear her proclaim her love for Ernani, the bandit. And she asks in this aria, Ernani, come save me, take me away. She doesn't want to marry that creepy uncle.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we're listening to Giuseppe Verde's Ernani. And we've just heard from our female lead, the soprano Mireia Freni as Elvira. And that was quite the performance, Pat. There was a lot going on there. And then we also had that nice little uh, chorus at the end. Right. Well, this this aria that Elvira sings, this is her big aria, like right off the bat. That's what the leading lady must present. But it's very useful to us as a as an audience because it tells us who she is. She's desperately in love with Ernani. And she, she also shows a certain amount of strength, which she has to do here. She's, she's not a character in this whole opera. I wouldn't say she's a character who develops a lot. So she has just told us who she is, and this is who she will remain, true to Ernani. So she just, she comes in hot, she makes a big entrance. That's she's right. got the, a lot of the, the vocal gymnastics right there at the beginning. We know that she's a superstar. Exactly. And meanwhile, she's. this is all what's sort of going on in her mind, but she's su- surrounded by all the ladies who are attending her. That's the female chorus. And they're just so excited because there's going to be a wedding. Right. <laughs> and the Count is showering her with jewels, all these beautiful gifts, and they think, oh, you're the envy of everyone because you're going to marry this guy. He's, he's got this beautiful home. He's got all these jewels. He's so rich. Elvira's not really, not really buying Feeling it. Feeling it. Yeah, she's not, she doesn't want to marry the old uncle. This is not, this is not exciting to her. Well, and does nobody else think he's a creepy uncle? And, or, do, or do they not care? Are they not as uh, romantic as she is? They're more practical? Or they just don't have the hots for Ernani the way she does? Or why are they... Well, this is what they say. <laughs> they say, how many will desire Silva's bridal bed, whose adoration is yours? These splendid jewels, the groom reserves them for you. You will look like a queen with your gems and your beauty. In other words, they just envious of all that she's going to receive. Right. Yeah. They're not really thinking about her as an individual young woman who right. has other hopes and dreams. I mean... Most women don't get to do that well, regardless of the age discrepancy. Right. Okay. So they're just being practical. They and do they not know about Ernani? That do they? Yeah, are they the course, unaware? The course is not really individualized. It's it's a generalized commentary. We're not. We we don't. They're not people <laughs> exactly. They're just a general commentary. Okay, but so we've met we've met the three suitors. We've met the three bachelors. We've, we've met, met two of the Alvira. three bachelors. Would you like to meet the third? Yeah. So wait. So we've met. We haven't met the bandito. We've met the bandito. We've met. Well, no, we've only met one of them. I take it back. We've only met one. Oh. Well, we've only met the bandito, but we're about to meet another one. Okay. Tell me. Carlo shows up uh-huh. in her bedroom. <gasps> what? Well, he's the king. So he's escorted in by her nurse, the main lady who attends her. He shows up and she's kind of to the side. I mean, it's grand bedroom. It's a large stage. And he's going to sing about how much he adores Elvira. Why has Elvira destroyed my peace? I love her, yet my power and love are nothing to her. It is not me she prefers, but a sworn enemy, a brigand. 
Let's tempt her heart just one more time. That's his plan. You know, doors open to you when you're the king. Can I ask a question? Definitely. So he's singing about her as if she's not there, but she's there. <laughs> suspension of disbelief, Keely. <laughs> okay. So he's doing like the thing where he talks about himself in the third person, only it's different. Like, I'm singing about this lady. She's breaking my heart, but she's right there. Well, let's listen a little bit to him singing, <laughs> pretending she's not there. But she's going to appear pretty soon, and the two of them are going to interact as well. We will hear a little bit of that duet also. Oh, my God. 
just heard from King Carlos, the King of Spain, asking why Elvira has destroyed his peace, and then Elvira came in, and they had quite a high-energy duet there. Yes, and to your point about what's this guy doing in my bedroom, she basically says that to him, and he says, because I love you, and she's just like, guy, I know you're the king, but... My honor. You must respect my honor. <laughs> and he says, but you'll be the honor of my court. Knock it off, buddy, she says, more or less. <laughs> he says, but how can you love that brigand? How can you let him be the one who has your love? I'm the king. But she remains firm, and, and he intensely tells her, listen to my heart. I can give you so much. By the way, he does not offer to marry her because she's not going to be of the right station to be marriage material, but... What, so he's just going to make her like a consort or what? The favorite. In fact, she will she will call him out on this. She says, your honor is either too great if he plans to marry her or it's too worthless. In other words, I'm not going to be your mistress yeah. at court. I, even if I'm the favorite of the king, it's not. Yeah. I'm not going to be your side chick. King. Exactly. So she says, if you are, in fact, offering me the crown, which I haven't heard you say, that is too great an honor I cannot accept. And if you are, in fact, wanting to make me your favorite mistress, that's too insulting. And it's a fantastic little duet the two of them have. And he's he can't quite wrap his head around the fact that... He's getting denied? She's saying no to Bachelor One. <laughs> Which, if you think about it, you got to wonder, too. Well, yeah, but it's also not a proposal. But can we get back to what I'm confused about? Did I mention he's young and he's hot? Yeah. And he's rich? <laughs> but Well, but he doesn't want to marry her. I get that. But what is a brigand? Oh, uh, another word for bandit. Oh, that's all. But he's but the creepy uncle isn't a bandit. No, but he's Ernani just saying, is. Ernani is. Oh, so the king knows that she's in love with Ernani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody seems to kind of know everything. Oh. Yes. Okay, so he's saying, why are you lo- in love with the bandito? But meanwhile, you're going to get married to your creepy uncle. And what am I, chopped liver? Right. Because he knows that he outranks the uncle. Massive. And certainly the bandito. Oh, well, that goes without saying. Okay, so the, what happens next? So they have this duet. It's very energetic. So he... Back and forth. He presses her. He presses her. He tries to convince her. And you think maybe something really awful is about to happen to her in his insistence and in getting close to her and wanting to have her. And when she's next to him, she grabs a dagger that's on his the hilt of his belt. <gasps> and she holds it out. And she says, you knock it off or I will slay the both of us. Feisty, that Elvira. Wow. 
She's not messing around. No, not at all. And she didn't even have to do it with a fruit knife. No, she had she had the king's actual dagger. Because <laughs> that's what a lot of people find a, a popular weapon <laughs> in opera is the fruit knife. Am I wrong? Well, I'm I'm only familiar with Tosca and the fruit knife, but but that's because uh, Scarpia wasn't wearing a dagger on his belt. I assume. Right. Right. But that's a different opera. So the king, of course, says, well, I have attendants. I'm not going to be threatened by some woman who's just grabbed my dagger. And in walks a man and says, I stand here as one in attendance. And the king says, you, you are Ernani. (gasps) So this gets to be kind of interesting. So this is all happening, meanwhile, in her house which is the house of her uncle right so the other two suitors essentially are in the bedroom with her this seems like a bad episode of three company or something (laughs) well there's a trio would you like to hear the trio yes okay let's do it
to Opera for Everyone, and we have just heard from two of the love interests in our opera today. Ernani, who is the title character of this Verdi opera, he is the bandito, and we've also heard from King Carlos of Spain, who is bachelor number one, and we've heard from our leading <laughs> lady, Elvira. And if you tuned in late, you need to listen to the beginning because we have three bachelors pursuing the lovely Elvira. Bachelor number one is King Charles I, Carlo. Bachelor number two is the bandito, who she's truly in love with, Ernani. Ernani. And bachelor number three? The creepy uncle. The creepy uncle of Elvira, who is so far setting up to marry her. Hmm? We haven't met him yet. Well, guess what? What? What would be the most inopportune time for us to meet him? Probably when she's in her bedroom in his house with the two, with the man that she's in love with and another man who's like, hey girl, don't you want to be my side chick? And she's like, no way. Exactly. That's That's exactly what happens. At the end of the trio, we just heard, boom, in walks Uncle Silva. And then what happens? And well, what do you expect he would say? He's... Um, I would maybe he's like, you kids get off my lawn. <laughs> well, more than that, he's like, you are dishonoring my bride. What are you men doing here? Shame on you, woman, for allowing these men to be in your room and shame on you men for being there. And they're like, we just brought some snacks, Silva. <laughs> just well, brought her. They kind of separate. And he at this point, the king is kind of in a corner. He's kind of covered his face by the hat and Ernani is kind of turned away as well. And he's just fuming. He's absolutely beside himself with rage. Wait, Ernani is or the creepy uncle? The creepy uncle. Uh-huh. Okay, go on. And he doesn't realize who it is. He just thinks these are two lowlifes in the room. Right. Doing bad stuff to right, dishonor Evera. Mm-hmm. And Elvira seems to be putting up with it. I don't know. It's his house. It's his castle. He figures this is not okay and I'm mm-hmm. angry and I'm sad and I'm going to sing a song about how pitiful I am that this should happen to me. <laughs> okay. So this is Uncle Silva cry singing his lament. <laughs> oh, unhappy man. Oh, 
listening to Opera for Everyone, a radio show and podcast that makes opera understandable, accessible, and enjoyable for a mainstream audience. It airs Sundays from 9 to 11 a.m. Mountain Time on 89.1 KHOL in Jackson, Wyoming. KHOL is Wyoming's only community radio station. Opera for Everyone is hosted by me, Keely Heron, and me, Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud and like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Welcome back to the second half of today's episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. I'm Pat Wright. And on today's episode, we are listening to Ernani by Giuseppe Verdi. And before we get into the second half of today's program, I want to give credit where credit is due to the people who have performed on the recording that we are listening to today. It was recorded in 1983 at La Scala in Milan with Riccardo Muti conducting Our title character, Hernani, is sung by Placido Domingo. Our leading lady is Mireia Freni. Don Carlo is sung by Renato Brusson. And Don Rui Gomez de Silva, also known as the Creepy Uncle, (laughs) is sung by Nikolai Girov. And now it's time for you to quickly recap in the Opera Helmet Quiz what we have learned in the first half which, by the way, is almost but not quite all of Act One of our opera. Yes, we've not quite reached the uh, rousing finale, I've, I've been told. Well, I think each act of this opera has a rousing finale, so bring us up to speed. Okay, so we are set in Spain in the early 1500s. 1519, to be exact. 1519. One of our leading bachelors, bachelor number one, is actually an historically accurate figure 
Are we saying that? This story in the opera is not true to life. Okay. But but his existence as a character who is the king of Spain, who will, in fact, spoiler, become the Holy Roman Emperor, he, that's correct historically. So Don Carlo is the king, and he is bachelor number one. Bachelor number two is Arnani. He is a bandito. And the apple of Elvira's eye. She's in love with him even though he's a bandito and he's not powerful or wealthy, but apparently he's very charming. Mm -hmm. And bachelor number three, to whom she is betrothed, is a count, and he is also her uncle and is significantly older than her, but he's, I guess, powerful and well-respected and has lands and is wealthy and can give her a very comfortable life. And so the other people that are surrounding her, her ladies-in-waiting, are very exciting for the upcoming wedding and Elvira's feeling less enthusiastic about that and we ended the first half of today's episode in her chambers where for reasons unbeknownst to us King Carlos has arrived to say like hey girl hey don't you want to get with me he hasn't proposed but he's trying to woo her and she's not having it And we also met Ernani, who came down from the mountains to rescue her. And he's shown up in her bedroom on the day before her wedding for some reason. Because it's the day before her wedding. That's why. Remember the first scene where he and his friends decide they're going to rescue her? That's why he's there. And they're coming down the mountain Mm -hmm. to rescue her. And then while he is there with the king of Spain in her chambers, her creepy uncle slash fiance arrives and says... What the heck are you kids doing in my bride's bedroom? You're going to ruin her reputation. And by the way, Elvira, what are you, why are these guys here? And that's kind of where we ended. That is where we ended. Did I miss anything? No, not at all. I might have missed something that I, because I didn't have enough time at the end of our first half to explain now. When Carlo encounters Hernani, Carlo knows that Hernani hates him. Carlo knows that he is not just a rival for the affections of Elvira, he also just hates Carlo. And Hernani will say very clearly, you robbed me of my property, of my honor, and my father was killed by your father. So we understand that this is a a grudge between these two, and Hernani wants satisfaction of a certain Ah, kind. So he's like, you killed my father, prepare to die. Yes, yes, a little bit like that, actually. (laughs) But Carlo is the king, after all, and he just says, just go away, flee, you insulting fool. You can't talk this way to the king, just just be gone. And he says, well, kill me then. And the king's like, no, I'm really not going to even bother doing that. Just just go. And you get the first glimpse here of this class inequity. Mm -hmm. The king is of such an elevated station. He can't be bothered. It's not worth it to him to kill someone of the of lower class, which is what he sees or Nani being at this point. Sure. And so this last bit where we had everyone's in her bedroom together and we heard the sad song that the uncle was singing about how he's disrespected. He's an unhappy man. It's not working out the way he wanted it to. He finally gathers himself up and he says, okay, 
I'm going to solve this with swords. And he gets his one of his men to hand him swords. He's like, okay, you two cowards. Because he still doesn't realize who these people are in her bedroom, just two guys. And it becomes clear when one of the attendants of the king also enters the room that it's the king, King Carlo. So he sort of takes off his hat, he takes off his cloak, and he reveals himself in his splendor as king, at which point everyone drops to their knees. Ah, including Elvira? Everyone. Everyone drops to their knees. Right, because at that point, if she didn't, it would be like she was making some point that she doesn't really need to make. She's okay to respect him as her sovereign, just not as a lover. Right. Right. So he says, yes, I am king. See how the good old man now casts his anger out of his heart. His reason is restored to him in the presence of the king. And that becomes a refrain that everyone will sing that he lost his mind for a little while, but now when he realizes it's the king, he and mm-hmm. he falls in line. And throughout the rest of this play, this idea of expectations of class behavior and honor and the right thing to do given who you are are going to be critical for the decisions that the various characters make. Some will make it against and some will make it in line with, but, but this, this issue is central to what goes on in this story. So the rousing conclusion to the first act, we're going to hear, a no, we can't hear the whole thing because it's long. I'm so sorry, but we're going to hear a little bit of it. And it's going to be everyone doing what opera does, everyone expressing all of their feelings at the same time. Elvira and Hernani are showing their love for each other. Silva is showing his deference, his required deference to the king. The king is saying, yes, you should go ahead and respect me but he's also going to say i'm the king i guess i should behave with a little more honor here he's going to pardon silva he's going to say it's okay i know you drew a sword on me but you didn't realize i was the king so i will i will pardon you so everyone's going to get their bit out here and there's going to be a a, a sort of a conversation that goes on between carlo and silva the two highest ranking men there and carlo and this this is historically accurate He's going to say, death surprised my noble grandfather. His grandfather was the Holy Roman Emperor. And now they are thinking of his successor. On your loyalty and heart, I can rely. I seek the advice of a loyal man. And so Silva assures him of his loyalty as king and that he's also going to support him in his bid to become Holy Roman Emperor. And it's sort of interesting because I don't want to get into too many details about the Holy Roman Empire, because that could take us to the end of the show, which no one really wants. But (laughs) it's a it's a more elevated title than he has as king of Spain. And interestingly, it's an elected position, not like democracy elected, but there are electors, they are going to have to elect the next emperor, these elevated individuals. In fact, that's where we're going to go in the third act to find out who is going to become the next Holy Roman Emperor. Ah, okay. And just so you know, it will be him. Charles I of Spain will become Charles V as Holy Roman Emperor. Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert. But it's it's history, so there are no spoilers in history, are there? I don't think so. Okay. Okay, so, where do we, so what happens next, Pat? So Carlo has that moment with Silva when he wants to assure that Silva is going to support him. And then Carlo also has a moment with Hernani, and he says, I will save you. And he turns to... Silva pointing to Hernani and he says this loyal man was serving me I would like to spend the night in your home 
but I'm going to let my retainer go on. He's got business to take care of for me. So mm. the king makes it possible for Ernani to escape this awkward situation by showing gracious king-like behavior. But he also gets rid of his rival. Yes. He gets him out of the house. I think the king thinks if he just stays at it long enough, she's going to wake up and see the benefits of being with him. He spends a little more time talking with uh, Silva, where he says, I, I really, really want to become emperor. He says, if destiny chooses to place that crown on my head, I can show myself worthy of it. Remember, this is a young man at this point. Historically speaking, he's 19 years old, king of Spain. He says, merciful justice and authority I will bring to the throne with me. So he's, he's looking forward to this rank that he hopes to attain, and he has good reason to think he will achieve it. He's from the right royal lineage. His grandfather held the position before him. He's got supports, and this is not mentioned here, but in reality, he pays a number of bribes. And so he thinks, he thinks he's got a pretty good shot at it all. So everybody's worried about all their different concerns. Hernani and Elvira are worried about being together because they're in love. Carlo wants Elvira, but he's also after this more elevated position. Title. And, and well, you know, poor Silva. He's just kind of sad because <laughs> he's, he's got to assure the king of his loyalty politically. He still thinks, okay, it's, it's going to work out. It's going to work out with marrying this woman. And that's the end of the first act in its rousing finale. Oh, 
to offer for everyone here on 89.1 KHOL. And that was the finale of Act 1 of Giuseppe Verdi's Ernani. And that was quite rousing, Pat. I'm looking forward to the remainder of the finales that are also very rousing. Well, Act 2 takes us into the grand hall of the uncle. Whose name is Don Rui Gomez de Silva. In this grand hall, everyone's buzzing because the wedding is about to happen. So she is going to marry him. The wedding is about to happen. Copy that. (laughs) And everyone's buzzing. And before we see the bride appear, someone tells Silva that a pilgrim is at the door. Someone requesting hospitality in their travels, dressed in a cloak with with a hood. And in comes this this man, and he says, may heaven smile on you. And Sylvan uh, greets him very warmly, very graciously. And the pilgrim says, I seek hospitality. And Silva says, well, it's always been a sacred duty of the Silvas to honor guests. I don't need to know who you are. You are a guest in my home. You were sent by God, and I shall protect you. There's a statement of honor. Mm-hmm. and what he expects of himself and what, what has always been expected of his family members. So Silva turns up the stairs and in comes his bride and he, he greets her as such. And Ernani says, bride? And he sees Elvira and he is beside himself. How, how dare she decide to marry him? Oh, wait, wait, wait. When did Ernani show up? Did I not mention? Ernani's the guy under the hood. He's yeah, the pilgrim. Yeah, I figured, okay. But yeah. He's in okay, disguise. So he's a pilgrim. But it doesn't, also... he, doesn't hold, he doesn't hang on to that disguise for very long because the moment he sees that Elvira is the bride in question, Ernani completely loses it because she's, she's in a wedding dress and she's going to marry this creepy guy. She's not waiting for him. He has a moment with her and she says, well, I don't want to marry him. I I thought you were dead. And he continues to be angry. And ultimately she has a moment to show him. She pulls discreetly out of her clothing a dagger. She says, my plan had been when I thought you were dead. My plan had been on the altar instead of fully saying my vows to kill myself. Oh my goodness. At which point Ernani forgives her. Well, yeah. Okay, but Ernani says to Silva, okay, I know you hate me. Go ahead and kill me. I mean, they're all talking about killing one another all the time. And Silva says, I I would never do such a thing. I, I offered to you my hospitality. I will honor that forever. Silva seems like kind of a chump in a way. I mean, honorable, yeah, but so this guy shows up in disguise Turns out that he's in love with his bride. He reveals that, and now Silva's like, I won't kill you. I'm honor-bound. Not within my own walls. I'll kill you later, outside. Uh, Okay, okay. So, in and amongst this, we have the one tiny little love duet between Elvira and Erdani.
You're listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL. And on today's episode, we're listening to Ernani by Giuseppe Verde. And we have just heard the only love duet in this entire opera about love. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they get interrupted because Silva comes back in. And he is enraged to see Hernani and Elvira in one another's arms. And he does fly into a rage and even pulls out a dagger. But before anything happens further, before any more conversation, his man comes in and says, the king has reached the castle gate with a troop of soldiers and he needs to be admitted. And Silva says, well, you've got to let the king in. And Hernani bravely says, I beg you, just kill me now. And huh. Silva says, no, you are, you are here and I have sworn to protect you. I will kill you later, but not in my house. Not on your terms, <laughs> on my terms. <laughs> it's not convenient for me to kill you right now. Well, okay. it, it breaks my rules is what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So the king comes in and he, and he says, um, cousin, Silva, friend. Why are there all these armaments? Why is everything so ready for battle here? Are you are you going to contest my authority? Are you going to lead a rebellion against me? And Silva is at great pains to say, no, I'm not trying to rebel against you, sir. And he spends time putting the king at some ease, but the king is still a little suspicious and he says again falling back on his family honor the silvers are not disloyal you know that's just like end of topic and the king says well that's good to hear so i know that ernani came into your castle he was seen coming in he is a sworn enemy of mine i need you to hand him over to me silva has meanwhile hidden ernani away where no one can find him and he says i cannot hand him over to you he is a guest in my home, and I am sworn to protect him. So he's got these these various codes of honor, loyalty, expectations. They're kind of bumping up against each other. He's loyal to the king, and the king wants that to take first place. But Silva says, no, no, my obligations as a host take first place. And Carlo says, you are betraying the king. He says, no, 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 I'm, I'm loyal. I just can't give over a guest that I have sworn to protect. Which is curious because Ernani, after all, he can't stand Ernani. Ernani's foiling all of his plans. Carlo sings a lovely piece where he says, we'll see, bold old man. You can resist me, but it's not going to work. I will roar over you like a lion. And Silva will ultimately join in, and there will be a duet between the two of them. Thank 
So we've just heard from Silva, the creepy uncle, and Don Carlo, and they've sung a duet. And have we resolved or figured out why Silva is protecting Ernani? Have we gotten any The rules of hospitality demand it. And so Carlo says, all right then, I'll get, I'll get my man later. If you won't hand over Ernani to me, I'm going to take this woman as hostage so that you will not cause me any trouble because I don't trust you. Because you seem like maybe, in spite of what you're telling me about being loyal, I don't trust you. It seems like maybe you're plotting something. So he grabs Elvira, or he has his men take Elvira, mm-hmm. and says, if you won't give me Ernani, I must take her. And Silva is furious, but it's the king, so he can't do anything. And he leaves with Elvira. Hmm. At this point, he lets Ernani out of his hiding place. Ernani comes out and says, you let her go with the king? Are you crazy? He says, well, what could I do? I had no choice. And Silva didn't know until just this moment when Ernani tells him that the king is smitten with Elvira. He thinks he's just taking her as a hostage, as someone from his household. And Ernani says, no, he wants to have her as his own. He's the, you know, in other words, basically he's telling one of the other guys, he's telling bachelor number three, the bachelor number one is also in love with Elvira. Yeah, he's absconded with your, I mean, Silva's a little slow on the uptake here. Am I wrong? He's trying to He's that guy that like follows all the rules to the point that he loses because he's just too fixate. He's like the Dwight Schrute. Am I supposed to know who that is? From The Office. (sighs) He's just following all the rules and, and can't get out of his own way. Right. Right. So after all of this has happened, she's gone. Silva says, come, follow me. And Hernani says, what do you mean, follow you where? He says, well, to the battlefield, of course, outside of my home. It's time for me to have a duel with you now and kill you. And Hernani says, okay, I understand you want to kill me. I understand you're pretty angry. He said, but we've got a bigger problem. Yeah, you're missing the point, buddy. (laughs) There's this woman, this lovely, young, innocent girl has just been taken prisoner by the king who has bad intentions towards her we need to go save her and silva says no i'm sorry i I need to kill you because that's what honor demands and hernani sort of takes a deep breath and says okay i know how your type play here's the thing i've got this horn on my belt this hunting horn i'm gonna hand it to you let's say you get to kill me whenever you want Will you let me live long enough to go rescue her from this horrible king? Can I please go rescue her? And Silva says, no, I'll do it. And he kind of looks at him and like, you're an old guy and that's not gonna work. Take the hunting horn, when you blow it, that's you calling in your debt. I will I will die that minute, I understand. But let's go rescue this poor defenseless young girl. Silva is a little bit skeptical that that's going to work out so he makes him repeatedly promise to keep his word on this point are you getting a bad feeling about this i mean i just (laughs) i i feel like i've worked for people like silva and you're just like okay all right whatever and you just kind of yeah you just gotta go along because they're in charge 
That, that's exactly what he has to do. So act two ends with the two of them agreeing to join forces against the king to rescue Elvira. And on to act three. listening to opera for everyone and on today's episode we are listening to Ernani by Giuseppe Verdi and we have just heard a smidgen of the prelude to act three so where where do we begin you could almost guess from the the tone of that music we are underground beside a tomb oh it is the tomb of Charlemagne ah the great king who was Charlemagne or, or Charles the Great, that's what Charlemagne means. Mm-hmm. Charles the Great, who was crowned Emperor of the Romans by the Pope in the year 800. Wow, okay. So old. He was pretty old. Right. It's Charlemagne's example that the Holy Roman Emperors are trying to follow. That's why they call themselves holy roman emperors you know there's the old quip you know the holy roman empire a lie in three parts neither holy nor roman nor an empire um that's that's the position that our friend our character here in the opera charles the first of spain is is going for he wants to be emperor of the romans he wants to be the holy roman emperor and charlemagne is the one who is the first in that line so we find him down in this crypt where the tomb is, the tomb of Charlemagne. And in the beginning, we hear a little bit of what is on the heart of the king, what's on the heart of Charles I. And it's about the fact that he's wondering if he is going to be chosen to be the next emperor. In fact, he tells his man, I'm going to stay here, stay out of sight, because there's so many, it's such a contested position that there are assassins after him, there's all kinds of things that could go wrong so it's important for his own safety and the ability to be take that position if he's elected to to hide in the meantime he tells his man let the cannon sound three times if i am elected so that i will know i can come out of hiding and he also lets us know through his song that he wants to be a good emperor he wants to be worthy of the example set by charlemagne as he sees Hmm. it noble merciful all the things that the best kings and emperors are he wants to do that Hmm. i don't have time to go into the history of (laughs) charles v of the holy roman empire charles v charles i of spain when he becomes holy roman emperor he's the fifth charles to hold that position so he's charles v same guy I see. Okay, so he's Charles the First of Spain, Charles the Fifth of the Holy Roman Empire. Exactly. Okay. Because of course, Charles the Great, Charlemagne, Charlemagne, or as I discovered <laughs> uh, when you're in Germany, Karl der Große. <laughs> ah. I was. Did I ever tell you that story? Very quickly. I was in Frankfurt one time looking at a historical museum, and there was this amazing statue of this knight on a horse, and it had underneath Karl K A R L. 
der Große. And I'm looking about that, like Carl the Great. Who's and I like suddenly, you know, banged myself on the head because, like, oh, of course, Carl is Charles. So it's it was a statue of Charlemagne. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that was not my best historical moment. Back to the tomb of Charlemagne of Carl der Große or Charlemagne. He's hiding there to protect himself, and also he he gets a moment to tell us what he's hopeful for for the future. And it's, here's a little bit about what Charles sings about his hopes for the future. And he says, If I am now chosen for the highest throne on the wings of virtue, will I soar like an eagle? So he understands what's expected of him. And, that, and he, wants to, he wants to fulfill that expectation. Carlos, King Carlos of Spain, is hanging out in a tomb, waiting. Not just any tomb, Charlemagne's tomb. The tomb tomb. of Charlemagne. And Uh, by the way, in in the uh, basement, in the crypt of the cathedral at Aachen, which is the cathedral that Charlemagne had built. But he's hiding there because the danger is real. Who, I mean, who's after him? So he's hanging out, singing about his hopes and dreams that he wants to be. But he hears a sound. And his song's over. And he hears a sound, and he goes and he hides inside the tomb. And the stage fills with the conspirators. And they talk about how they don't want to be ruled by foreigners. And they talk amongst themselves and say, well, which of us is going to kill him? Which of us is going to have that honor? And they actually draw lots to see who gets the honor of being the actual assassin. They're all in on the conspiracy and and they'll have people backed up in case the first one fails. But of course, when they draw lots, it's Hernani's name that is drawn. And Hernani is thrilled to have the honor to assassinate the king who he hates. But Silva says, no, I want that honor. Let's make a bargain. I will spare your life. I will release you from this debt of honor to kill yourself if you will let me have the honor of killing the king. At which point do all the guys go, oh, great, Silva wants to kill him. So if you're Anani, this is a perfect way out of your predicament. Well, yeah, because he's trying to seduce your 
love. Does Ernani accept this proposition? No, why not? No, he does not. (laughs) Because it's too great an honor to let it go to somebody else. He doesn't want to let it go. And at this point, we need to stop and hear a fabulous choral piece, a greatly patriotic choral piece. And it's one that Verdi knew would strike a chord with his Italian audience under the rule of the Habsburgs at this period of time of nationalism that was growing and growing in Italy. So let's listen to this martial, patriotic choral piece. fired up there, Pat. Absolutely. They are ready to do their patriotic duty. And by chance, did you hear the uh, the cannon at the end of that tune? Does that mean that he's safe? They've elected him? Yeah, little by little. We hear first we hear one cannon shot and the, the guys are like, hey, what's that? <laughs> and then we hear two and then we hear three. And we know that that means Carlo has been elected the Holy yeah. Roman Emperor. It's like the puffs of smoke at the Vatican, right? It, it is, exactly. And out bursts Charles from his hiding place. Mm-hmm. And he says, I am Charles V, and you all are traitors. And in come a bunch of other men who are supporting the emperor. 
and he is ready to take revenge on all these people who are plotting to kill him. He even says, all right, divvy up the people. The commoners, they go to the prisons. The nobles, they go to be executed because in this very class conscious way, only the nobles have the dignity of ending their life through execution. Common people are just put in humiliation, in squalor, in jail. And Ernani steps forward and he says, well then, great king, you must kill me. I am a count, the Duke of Sergobia and Cardona. Let everyone recognize me as Don Juan of Aragon. So he is not just some random commoner bandit. He is a deposed nobleman. The reason Charles' father killed Ernani's father was it was a dispute among nobles. Ah, oh, that's right. I forgot. He killed his father. So things are looking pretty bad. Once again, Ernani says, kill me now, right? Right. (laughs) Once again. And in steps Elvira at just this moment. And she says to Charles, sire, you have achieved the greatest height, the highest throne, and now you must act like you deserve it, basically. She doesn't quite say it that harshly, but she says, the heavens speak through me, and I want you to know that pity is an august virtue. And that Mm. takes Carlo aback, and he suddenly comes back to himself and what he was thinking earlier, and he looks at the statue of Charlemagne by the tomb, And he will sing about the fact that he wants to be like Charlemagne once again. And to that end, takes a deep breath and he says in a grand gesture all around, I pardon all of you, every one of you, I offer you pardon. And then he grabs Hernani's hand and he grabs Elvira's hand and he puts them together. And he says, and you two, you should be married. I forgive you all. So here he is. He is being great and magnanimous. He is living up to that hope that he would be a kind and merciful king. And doesn't it feel like the opera should end just there? Uh, Yes, but I'm guessing that it doesn't. (laughs) It feels like it should end right there. But Silva does something. Silva's still alive, right? But we've got that pesky old Silva. So let's hear a little bit of the rousing end of Act 3. And then we'll get back to the pesky old Silva. Thank you. 
listening to Opera for Everyone on 89.1 KHOL, and we are nearing the end of today's opera, which is Ernani by Giuseppe Verdi, and we've just closed out Act 3, and apparently most of our main characters are pretty happy. Mm-hmm. King Carlo is now going to be the Holy Roman Emperor. He's psyched about that, and he's pardoned Ernani and said, oh, hey, Ernani, you should be with Elvira. It's clear that you two love each other. And since you're not just a common bandito, you're actually the deposed son of the king of Aragon, who my father slayed. I'm going to pardon you, and now you were going to go off and live happily ever after. And then meanwhile... And also he restores his lands. Oh, he does? Okay, so things are really looking up for the bandito. Mm -hmm. And then we've got the creepy uncle who is still sulking. So what happens next? Well, exactly. And, and one of the things he says at the end of Act 3 is, My offended honor cries out for revenge. Oh, my vanquished hopes, which are not suppressed well. I do not know how to soothe you at all. So he's, he's tied up in knots. But Act 4 begins. And it's lovely. We are in the palace of Don Juan of Aragon. Ooh. Otherwise known as Hernani. Bandito. The Bandito, and he is restored to his rightful place. He has his palace back, and it's the wedding day for Hernani and Elvira. So we have another preparation for wedding, but everyone's so happy because this one feels right. This is a love match. And the chorus sings beautifully about how they're looking forward to this lovely couple coming together. It's wonderful. Everyone's happy. And then, after Ernani and Elvira have had a few tender words together, we hear the sound of a hunting horn. Ugh. He's such a buzzkill, this one. He is. I'm shocked that he's single. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to snuggle up next to that? And Ernani is just, no! No, this cannot be. This cannot be. But he pulls himself together and Elvira can see something's wrong. And he basically says, Elvira, uh, go get me. I'm feeling unwell. Go get me some medicine. You leave. Leave now and go find me some medicine to make me feel better. So she leaves and Ernani sings briefly. Now it is quiet here. Maybe I, I just imagined the horn. Maybe it's all going too well and I, and I didn't, it's, it's probably fine. But no, Silva comes in and he's wearing a a creepy mask to disguise himself and just look a little more ominous, I think. And Hernani practically faints. He says, oh, it's him. It's him. And Silva says, well, time now to fulfill the pledge that you gave to me. This is the moment. I sounded the horn. And Hernani begs with him, please, please don't make me fulfill this pledge. I'm finally going to be at peace after all these years of being on the run, not having family or position or a place. And Silva just says, well, you can either do it by poison or by a dagger, your choice. And he holds both out to him. And Ernani tries a couple other times to talk him out of it, but Silva does not budge. So Ernani takes the dagger. Shut up. He does. Ernani takes the dagger, and just as he's about to stab himself, Elvira comes in. Stop, she cries. Stop! What hellish demon hatched up this terrible plot? 
You can't carry on with this. And Silva says coldly, it's useless. I do not forgive him. I'm going to hold him to his word. And very quickly, this whole thing wraps up with her begging for mercy, Silva not budging an inch. And ultimately, Hernani takes that dagger. And before he stabs himself, he turns to Elvira, because he knows what she's thinking, and he says, no, you may not hurt yourself. You may not follow me now. That will come later. And he stabs himself. I object. (laughs) Well, do you want to know something really awful? In the Victor Hugo play, all three of them die. How? Ernani kills him. It's poison in in the play. Ernani kills himself, and Elvira kills herself with the remaining poison. And Silva, there's nothing left for him. As you say, he's not a real catch. And he kills himself, and it's only the king who remains of that love quadrangle. But in this opera, she merely faints at the end. And Silva remains triumphant because his honor has been upheld. Well, good for him! (laughs) That's why I feel like it should end after Act 3, because we had a little bit of a happy ending there. Yeah, I'm just going to have it end there. Everybody is, oh, they're so happy. Everybody's so happy. And Hernani and Elvira are married. Yeah, so there's no intermission between Act 3 and 4 because they're relatively short. So you don't even get a chance to just decide not to come back. (laughs) You got to sit through and watch the tragedy unfold. I still object. So let's listen to a little bit of that very final intense scene to take us out to the end.
Thanks for listening to another episode of Opera for Everyone. I'm Keely Heron. And I'm Pat Wright. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And like our Facebook page, Opera for Everyone, where you can also send us a message. We know that opera can be challenging. But everyone loves a good story. And a story set to music is even better. That's why our mission is to make Opera opera for for everyone. everyone.